With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to the Book of Joe podcast. Of course, it's the same name as the great book, The Book of Joe, written by me, Tom Verducci, and Joe Madden. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tommy. How are you? I'm great. We got a World Series set. It's right. the Philadelphia Phillies, the last team in to the dance, by the way, the number six seed in the National League against the number one seed from the American League, the Houston Astros. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. I agree. Um, you know, from the beginning, we were talking. I did like Houston a lot because, of, primarily, because of their pitching, and I still do. I, um, I I liked their offense. There's some nice offensive pieces. They're really good offensive pieces, but for the most part, they pull out like a, a Christian Javier. They didn't even use Garcia. I don't think um, they had others. I mean, they just they're so deep with their pitching. Not only deep in the fact that they got good arms, but these guys perform too. So they're just a different animal. On the other hand, uh, the Phillies. Uh, I got a lot. I got a lot of time invested with a lot of people there, and I've been really watching that uh, closely and carefully. I, uh, if momentum means anything, if momentum counts, if a vibe counts, they got it going on right now, and I, I believe in that kind of stuff. So they're going to come in there a bunch of loose cannons. They're the underdogs. They have nothing to lose. Kind of a, uh, you know, like the Cavalier, a three musketeer kind of an attitude. So I think you're going to see a lot of the same. They're not going to cower. Uh, Schwarbs is going to be himself. He's uh, fearless. Uh, obviously, Harb's fearless. Um, Real Muto is one of my favorite players. Um, and Nicky Castellanos, heads up. Uh, he's just started hitting balls down the line and in gaps over the last couple of days, and that's who he is. So uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, but I, I do like the Philly vibe right now. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of a, a college team in Omaha. They're playing with that much energy. It's been fun to watch this Philly group. Yep. All the pressure came off when they got into the postseason. Mm-hmm. Remember, the whole narrative on the Phillies the last few years is they collapsed in September, and it was there this year every time they lost, say, a second game in a row, but they put that to bed, and I see them playing with so much freedom now that they got rid of that. I want to devote some time here entirely to Bryce Harper sure, because he's been the story of this postseason for me. When you have a great player playing at his ceiling in the biggest moments – my goodness, the home run he hit in the clinching game, game five, eighth inning, down run, a run. He hits the pennant-winning home run. I, man, I go back to 
either Carlton Fisk in 75 or Kirby Puckett in 91 because we're talking about a great player hitting a historic home run in a great moment. It doesn't happen that often, folks, where the, the stars really shine in such a big moment. Let's talk about how he got there. Because I, I love the managing decisions, Joe, that go into the postseason. Mm-hmm. To me, you've got a couple of ways you can go running a postseason game. You can go for the kill the way that Rob Thompson did, uh, I thought, throughout that series mm-hmm. very aggressively. Now, it might burn you sometimes when you go to your bull- big bullpen pieces early, but here was a guy who closed the game with Ranger Suarez, right? right? So he wasn't afraid to go for the kill. Bob Melvin, a little bit more, I would say, traditional, running the game as he would in the regular season. This is the image that, to me, the Padres have to live with all winter. They had Robert Suarez on the mound, a right-hander, pitching to Bryce Harper with the season on the line, and Josh Hader was throwing to the bullpen catcher in the bullpen. To me... I you go to Hater there. I actually sent Ken Rosenthal, my Fox colleague, a text before that inning saying this entire ball game comes down to Bryce Harper's at bat. You have to have Hater on Harper. That's the game. I don't want Hater pitching to the bottom of the lineup. I want him on Harper. Now listen, Bob Melvin in his defense says, Hey, listen, Suarez, one of our guys, hasn't allowed a home run to a lefty all year. I get it. Bryce Harper, man, is just too hot. I'm circling his name every time I'm playing the Phillies and saying, that guy ain't beating us. So not so much a second guess, Joe, but it's more like the the pressure a manager has to have in running a postseason game and knowing you have multiple outs to cover late. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and that's why we've talked about it. You really have to play that game before it, before it ever occurs. You have to conclude before the games that we get to this particular spot this is what I'm going to do um that's I'm just giving you my own uh, method so um he he uh uh Bowmel in that situation I want to believe that he had played that out beforehand I also believe in his defense I still think he was thinking about all the games that needed to be won afterwards and he was probably uh worried or concerned about using Hater too often down the, the stretch drive there that it wouldn't play out um I get that. I get that. The other point is the three batter minimum kind of gets in the way right there, which you may have traditionally done, meaning I don't even know if there was a lefty available to him at that point out of the bullpen other than Hader, but you could have matched it up there and try to get through that moment, save Hader for later. But when that three batter minimum, you do hold your breath. There's times you have to hold your breath because there's situations you don't like. Having said all that, I know what you're talking about. Uh, that's the spot. That's the man. That's uh, Harper. And when you're down and there's no game tomorrow, if you don't win today's game, then all this other stuff goes away and you have to really play it more aggressively than other times. Because after all, you win that game, you don't even know what the game's going to look like tomorrow. It could be 10-2 Padres or it could be 10-2 Phillies. And it's it's a moot point either way. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. You have to play that game as though it is the last game of the year, potentially, and it is, and it was. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the manager's head right there. And I'm I'm suggesting is that the three batter minimum may have something to do with that where you can't match up that early because you don't want Hader in that soon or that long. And then the fact that you have to win several more games to actually win it all. So you're trying to parcel your pieces out. So again, we've talked about it before we went on air with this. There's choices that have to be made. Um, I I like the aggressive approach in the uh, postseason. We've talked about that. And you really have the conventional wisdom has to be damned at that point. You just got to go for it. 
Yeah, it's a good point you make about the three batter minimum rule because a few years ago, Bob Melvin could have used Tim Hill on Bryce Harper, situational lefty, right. got him out of the game and then gone to a right-hander on Castellanos behind him. Can't do that in today's game. And Correct. he did want to limit Josh Hader to no more than, say, four outs. So he was hoping that Suarez got him there. But again, you've got to control Bryce Harper. I mean, listen, Josh Hader did not pitch in Philadelphia at all, and the Padres lost three straight games. Josh Hader pitched to three batters in that series, three batters, and it was a number six, seven, and eight hitters in the Philadelphia lineup. So he never matched up against the heart of the Philadelphia order. Uh, And he came in, actually left going home with striking out eight consecutive batters, the only pitcher in postseason history to do that. I just think you have a weapon like that. You have to deploy it when the game is on the line. And I saw Rob Thompson do that by going to Dominguez and Alvarado early. To me, Thompson won that series because he never gave a comfortable at-bat to Juan Soto and Manny Machado. The whole series pivoted around that. And, Joe, it brings me back, and I'm sure you remember this, to you managing the Cubs in 2016 when a red-hot Bryce Harper walks in to Wrigley Field. Four-game series, Harper comes to the plate 19 times, and you walk him 13 <laughs> times. It's <laughs> a record. One for four in a four-game series. <laughs> you you swept the series. Bryce was all messed up for the next couple of weeks. I mean, going back to that series, you talk about taking a guy at hot bat out of the lineup i don't think i recall a series like that joe well you know it's your you you do i i like to identify and this this is another part of what we're talking about right now i don't even know where the padres are at but analytically sometimes they don't want you to um intentionally walk people maybe in 15 when i did all that that thought had not been put in my head at that point i was just really working off instinct at that particular moment i'm watching what's happening with the other team zimmerman's hitting behind him Anthony Rendon below, uh, uh, Daniel Murphy down below. I felt good about it. I mean, there was no way um, I'm letting Hart beat us right there. With And Zim's a great player, don't get me wrong. But these other guys, had they put Murph back there, even though it was left-left, or even Anthony back there, I probably would have had a, a much more difficult decision to make at that particular uh, moment in time. So, yeah, I, um, it was, I, he wasn't going to beat us. Uh, we were ascending as a team, as a unit at that point. And I was managing aggressively there. And um, as, as it continued into the season, as we kept getting better and better, um, you, you have to put aside, um, you know, personal feelings. You can't worry about hurting somebody's feelings. Uh, and, and furthermore, like I said, I was always about winning today's game. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I read that Rogers Hornsby used to say that whenever it was a 25 or 26, 1925 or 6, that the Cardinals won the World Series. Win today's game. Because you don't know what hold, tomorrow holds. You really don't. We're always saving, you know, acorns for that next uh, uh, storm a little bit, but you don't know. So you win today's game, and then you make you try to make tomorrow fit based on what you got. Um, part of that is momentum, and I believe in that stuff. I believe in feel. I believe in momentum. So when you have an opportunity to seize that, and then you lose it because you make a decision based on tomorrow, I I, I just I don't I don't operate that way. That way, I was accused of that. <laughs> Several times, um, people brought it to my attention. Geez, you really focus on winning today's game. I think, what, what else is there to do? Um, and but by the same token, I am aware, and I know everything's interconnected. That's another thing we don't talk about enough. Uh, definitely during the uh, regular season, the interconnectivity of uh, today's game with yesterday's game, what's going to happen tomorrow, and you always have to keep that in mind. No question. Playoffs, more micro man. You just got to go for it because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Great stuff, Joe. And for anybody who has not yet read the book, I mean, first of all, what are you waiting for? Correct. And second of all, <laughs> there is just fabulous insight into some of these decisions and thought process that go into what a manager does in the course of a game and especially important games. I mean, Joe, walking you through game seven of the 2016 World Series, there's some fascinating stuff from A.J. Hinch on game seven of the 2019 World Series. If you want to know what goes on in inside a manager's head in the heat of the moment, man, the book of Joe's got some awesome stuff in there. So make sure you pick it up. Hey, when we come back, got to talk about the Yankees. Their season's over. How did it happen? We'll dive into that next. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Joe Madden, the Yankees are done. 99 wins. Unbelievable historic season for Aaron Judge this year. What happened? I know a lot had to do with the Houston Astros. Let's not discount how good they are. And you talked about their depth. But how about the Yankees going out in the postseason with barely a whimper? The first team swept while striking out 50 times. Wow. Yeah, I've been involved in this sweep, too, with the Mets. Did it to us with the Cubs in 2015. And you get a hot pitching staff, man. It's really difficult. And you've already highlighted the uh, increased usage of breaking balls during the postseason. And and what that's like and what that's all about. I watched the series for the most part. And it was, it was just a total domination by the um, Houston pitching staff. 
And then I read, because I'm, I'm a New York Post reader, I'm, I'm here to too, uh, fess up, and I do read, and you read about a lot of the Yankee guys talking about things they should do differently during the postseason, and I, you know, these are professional guys, I get it, but you just don't turn a switch or flip a switch and all of a sudden become more situationally oriented or able to hit the ball to the other side or put down a decent sacrifice bunt or bunt for a hit or hit and run or you just steal a base. This is stuff that has to be nurtured in season, and that's why when people ask me, you know, power, why do I, why am I into contact or hit and run on occasion? Because I want it all. I want an offensive team or a team. I'm into the liberal arts version of baseball. I want you to be able to do everything. And I don't like specialization as much. Um, and so then you get into a short series like that and guys are only able to do one thing. And hey, if you've got a scouting report and on the other hitters, on the Yankee hitters, and they're pretty much pigeonholed into one item, they're just trying to hit for power. Uh, and you got guys that can actually fulfill where their where the weak points are, you're in trouble. Uh, as opposed to the group that's able to do different things, maybe do a hit and run or a bunt for a hit or, or just a, a, a sack bunt or hit behind a run or whatever, uh, more movement, maybe steal a bag. And that's that's the part that I think has been missing from our game. We've been trained more recently to just focus on the three true outcomes, which is what they demonstrated right there. Um, so, yeah, I – to think that you're just going to be able to do things automatically because you're not doing well right now in a short series in October, that's that's really, uh, really a bad method to, to, to even think about that that's possible. It's not. So you got to nurture it. During 162, you got to do those things. You might have to get a guy thrown out once in a while in order to um, put make uh, hit and run be part of your game or just put it in the other team's mind that you might. The seed of doubt being planted is a very valuable tool. So if they know you're not going to do anything, if you make it so easy to advance scout you, you're really making it difficult uh, on yourself unless you just get hot or the other pitching staff is making mistakes or is not that good. But this time of the year, all staffs are good. I could go on and on about this subject. But to think that you're going to change uh, your fingerprints at this time of the year, it's not, it's not nearly impossible. It is impossible. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And and I think in the Yankees' defense here, I think the injuries to Benintendi and LeMayhew sure. made them even more dependent on the one way to win, which was the long ball. You know, they, I think they were first or second in the season, mm -hmm. the highest percentage of runs scored via the home run. And it's a great point to say you're not going to change your offensive profile in a postseason environment, not against the pitching staff like Houston. Uh, but I will say, Joe, I, I think and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I think pitching wise on the run prevention side, you can do a little bit different. We talk about pitchers when they see a team, maybe the second time in five days, they may be able to mix up their mix a little bit, show a different look. Uh, as long as you have a variation and stuff, you can do that. And I'm looking at Houston. You mentioned their breaking ball usage. The Astros in this postseason have thrown 45% breaking pitches 45 percent that is the highest number of any team in the postseason in the 15 years that we have tracked that kind of number minimum of three games so listen normally a team would be around 30 percent 45 percent is incredible so joe how about when the on the run prevention side what you're doing as a pitching staff obviously you're identifying holes on the other hitters and the other teams but how about giving different looks in a postseason environment on the pitching side? Yeah, it's um, it's very difficult on, for the offensive players if you're able to do that. I wonder how much McCullers 
um, boost that percentage too, because this guy really likes to throw his breaking stuff. I'm just going, I mean, you know, Fromber, um, Valdez, who I love, I, I love his stuff, but he's also got that sinker to put in play. Garcia, Verlander. It's interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, these guys, like I said, you could identify, you, you identify what the Yankees are capable of doing. And you know how many of these guys are going to chase. And we talked about this, I think, last time. The ball-to-strike breaking ball and the strike-to-ball breaking ball. Uh, just dump it over early in the count and uh, grab a quick strike. And then once you get into a decent count, strike-to-ball, they're going to they're gonna swing at it. They're going to swing at it often. And there's there's data and information to support that. So these guys, they're they're first of all, they're able to, like I said, to identify it. And then you have to be able to execute it. It's not just – it's just – you to, to identify it's one thing to get guys out there that actually can uh, pull this off. That's something completely different. And I'll give you another Maldonado and Vasquez. Those are two really good catchers. And I've had Maldonado briefly. Um, these guys have a lot to do with that too. I know they have a scouting report to fall, but these guys also, and I know Maldonado will work off a of field too. And he's watching feet in the batter's box and he's watching uh, hitters react. Uh, here comes a, a, a fastball and it's right down the middle, but the guy's late. Why? Because he's looking breaking ball. I mean, they, they, they could read all these different kind of things. So it's a, it's a combo. It's a combination. It's a wonderful scouting report, um, a game plan going into it. But then in game, being able to adjust and see what's happening and having a catcher or catchers like they do, I think really benefited them in this, in this postseason again. Oh, I love that point that you brought up Maldonado because Listen, he's he's not going to hit much, right? He'll come up with a big hit sometimes with a guy on base, but he's had 3,300 plate appearances in the big leagues. Nobody has gotten that many plate appearances in the big leagues with a lower batting average in the history of the game than Martin Maldonado. Why is he getting all those times at bat? Because he's so good behind the plate. Tony LaRusso once told me that other than Yadi Molina, there's nobody who runs a game better from behind the plate in every way than Martin Maldonado. So, Joe, I got to believe catching really plays up this time of year. Oh, it does. It, it really does. You you have to have that great leadership behind there with the Cubs. Um, had a young Wilson Contreras, but there was a, a veteran David Ross and Miggy Montero. And I'm telling you, uh, we would develop, you know, outstanding game plans. Mike Borzell, I don't know if people know who Mike is. Borzi is, is literally a game planner, and he's a coach. He's on the bench, and he's, uh, he's conversing with the pitcher and the catcher the entire game. And his game plans are the best I've seen, and he does it all by himself. He gets information or analytics, but then he calls it down into a method that is so user-friendly during the game uh, that I absolutely loved it. But he would impart that on on uh, Wilson and then David and, of course, Miggy. Now, David and <clears throat> Miggy have been around forever, but they, they really wanted to get the intel from Borzee too uh, because it was that strong and it was that accurate. So when you have this um, marriage – of, of really uh, a coach on the bench who, honestly, this I, I've, say, I've said oftentimes, teams got Borzelloed because he was that good in his prep. <laughs> so they Borzee to the catchers in game. We had little things that he can do during the game to call a pitch because the guys would look in. Might not really be very certain right now where we want to go. And, and uh, Michael would always be emphatic. So that was <clears throat> a big part of the Cubs' success was the game planning by Borzi and his ability to relay to very good catchers. And like I might say in the last point, you get veterans like Miggy and, and David wanting that intel. That's pretty special. Yeah, Borzi was great. He was the first one that I noticed. I don't know if he was first overall, but the first one I noticed to before every half inning, 
would go over the next sequence of hitters with his pitcher and his catcher. We talk about pregame meetings. Sure, you cover everybody, but uh, it was an inning-by-inning game plan with Mike Borzello. He was on top of it. So in the World Series, we've got Martin Maldonado and JT Real Muto. I, I think two really good, not just receivers, but I call them game callers, quarterbacks behind the plate. Really looking forward to that matchup. Right. Hey, when we get back, I want to talk about one of your former players, Joe, who's in the World Series, Kyle Schwarber, and the importance of chemistry. Yeah, I use the C word, chemistry for a team. We're going to talk about that when we get back to the Book of Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast with Joe Madden. I'm Tom Verducci. Be sure to pick up our book, The Book of Joe. It's got awesome amount of baseball info and some life lessons in there as well. It's really fun. And speaking of fun, Kyle Schwarber, Joe, you had him with the Cubs. I mean, listen, I think he's the ultimate teammate. He reminds me of that high school football captain who everybody loves, and he's never changed. He's the same kind of dude. Quick story for you. 
I was talking to Kevin Long about Bryce Harper and kind of the transformation that Bryce has gone through this year. All he's wanted to do was win. He had never won a postseason series before as a big leaguer. Now they're in the World Series. He mentioned it was Kyle Schwarber who, along the course of the season this year, kind of taught him the importance of just being concerned about team. And, and Bryce's, in Bryce's defense, he's had the spotlight on him since he was a teenager, right? It was always about where he was playing next, what his contract was going to be, what his numbers were going to be, what you know, could he win an MVP, win another MVP. It's now just about team. And and Kay Long mentioned it was Kyle Schwarber was the one who really kind of, I don't want to say taught him, but emphasized what it meant to play in the team context. So you got to see Kyle up close and what he offered besides the big home run bat. What did you see from Kyle Schwarber? It's my favorite word um, when it comes to Major League Baseball. You're talking about a player, a coach, or a manager, and that's fearlessness. Um, definitely in the moment. Uh, I'm not concerned about a negative outcome, anticipating something good to happen. And if it's a, a bad moment, something bad occurs regarding maybe made a bad player struck out in a big moment, he's able to turn the page very fast. And he is. He's all about team, 100%. And um, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about Anthony Rizzo. Also, I'm very proud of the way both of them showed up. Uh, uh, gets to continue. Anthony had a great impact, I thought, on the Yankees. And he was a big reason why they even uh, looked as, uh, you know, they got as far as they did. I know it's all about judge, but Anthony, had he not gotten hurt, that would have been an even bigger impact in New York because these guys, the moment doesn't get too big. They're able to slow it down. I, I think um, they get it in, in that sense. They they don't become overwhelmed. They, they don't add more weight to this moment. They just kind of seek it. They're looking for it. They, they like the word pressure. They like the word expectations. That's something I really tried uh, to get across to them when I was there. One of my my opening meeting in, in, the, in the spring every year, I would, I would really stress the fact that if you hear those words, run towards them, never run away from them because there's something good that's going to happen if those are, words are attached to what you're attempting to do. So Schwarbs is um, he's the same cat. You're, you have him completely right. High school football captain. Um, he's always there to support everybody else. He's always upbeat. He could hit any. He could have the worst slump, slump going on, but he knows the next that bad he's going to crush something. And and Riz is the same way. Riz just plays the game. You, you saw Anthony. How many how many um, bad throws did he save during that uh, series right there? He really kept that infield afloat. And of course, is at bats. That's what everybody's looking for. Those those are the kind of a professional at bats you're looking for this time of the year. So proud of both of the guys. I thought they both represent well. And now Schwarbs gets to continue. And I thought that uh, Kyle may have had a good influence on Harper too. Like you suggested, I mean, Brian's been in this bubble his entire life. Uh, to a certain extent, Schwarbs was too, as, as his draft status and how he came up with the Cubs. But uh, totally different in regards to the kind of publicity they both received. So I think um, Kyle's methods, I think, absolutely probably have benefited uh, Bryce. Yeah, I know in our book, the Book of Joe, that you mentioned that word a lot, fearlessness, right? And, and I'm assuming that it has to be part of the DNA, not just of the players, but especially of the manager this time of year. Um, where did you think you learned that lesson from, Joe, to run a game with fearlessness? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of it, I think, was derived by managing in the minor leagues where you can make as many mistakes as you need to and nobody gets to see them. I think it began there. Uh, as a major league coach, um, I was in the same room with um, uh, Larry Boa, David Parker, who's one of my all-time favorites, George Hendrick, and, of course, uh, um, uh, Rodney and uh, Carew and, uh, and Marcel and these guys. Um, 
that to me is, is where it was nurtured. And then I got to work for Sosha. The one thing as uh, people ask me, what did you learn from Mike Sosha? Uh, the, the one thing I took from Sosha, and I think David Parker's, as well as these other guys, so comfortable in their major league body and uniform. They were, they'd walk out to the field and nothing changed. You know, they were just like they had been before the game ever began. Uh, Sosha and I would stand in the corner and actually joke during the game. We'd laugh during the game. It was great. I mean, I really, Michael and I grew up, he grew up down in Philly, not far from here. We liked the same music, watched the same TV shows growing up, et cetera. So there was that bond there. But what I took away from him, he was never afraid of answering a question after the game uh, if it didn't work out well. Sosha wasn't. So as a young aspiring manager, I took that away from him. And like I said, Dave and the other guy was Mickey Hatcher. I'm a Mickey Hatcher freak. I love Mickey Hatcher. That whole staff, you could talk Buddy Black. I could keep going on rags, Renicky. We had this group that when the game began, um, if something went wrong, nobody cowered, nobody ran away, nobody started pointing fingers. Um, there was a fearlessness about it. And and I think that's the only way to win. Uh, fortune favors the bold. If you're out there uh, worried about losing, I promise you're going to lose. If you're out there not worried about losing, just putting it out there, you have a much better chance of winning. So with the Rays, I put it out there. Fortune favors the bold. Uh, embrace the target with the Cubs. These are the things you have to do in order to be successful. Because if you cower or always worried about answering a tough question afterward because you're taking a chance, it's not going to work. 2002, Angels, one of the, I think, one of the greatest coaching staffs of all time, really. Just a, a great group and mm-hmm. and turned it into a world championship in 2002. Uh, speaking of managers, Joe, we had news this week. Bruce Bochy is back managing, buddy of ours, back now with the Texas Rangers after a couple of years out of the game, getting recharged. And I think about Bochy getting hired. I think about the last two World Series now, the three managers in the last two World Series. Dusty Baker, of course, he's managed, including the postseason, almost 4,000 games. And Brian Snitker and Rob Thompson, two true baseball lifers who really paid their dues and got their first managing gig like you in their fifties who bring not just information, but wisdom and experience. And these guys are playing for the ultimate prize. Brian Snicker, Rob Thompson, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy coming back with three world series titles leads me to ask a question. A lot of people are probably wondering, listening to this podcast. How about Joe Madden coming back into the dugout? Well, I'm not opposed. Of course not. I'm, I just uh, have to be asked, first of all. I really haven't had any kind of uh, uh, takers this offseason. I don't know to what extent uh, even what I'm talking about right now uh, might be pushing some away. I'm, I'm really wanting, uh, by what I'm saying right now, the different um, topics I've been discussing is going to uh, attract um, uh, maybe several in the, in the, in the near future or even to the next season. Uh, but I'm, I'm really not concerned. My, my point right now is that I have to say what I'm saying. We talked about it in the book and all these conversations here. Um, uh, I really, I, I want to put it out there. I want to defend baseball. And you're just talking about it right there. Um, a lot of I, what I'd like to see is a lot of the potential new managers that people like. I'd still like to see these guys go out and manage rookie ball for a little bit or go scout before they ever get this opportunity. I've actually advised a couple guys, I'm not going to mention names now, that have act- received uh, managerial jobs that I've worked with. I, I Listen, before you do that, go ahead and, and manage a rookie league team. You're going to really, you're going to be surprised all that you learn uh, just by dealing with young players, uh, what, what a bad product looks like and how you make it into a good one, all the different uh, 
pitfalls and, and, and crises you have on a daily basis. You've got to be able to work through that. And scouting. And I don't even know where scouting is anymore. I don't even know uh, how valued real scouts are anymore uh, with all the different methods utilized to uh, scout. But when you sit in a stands and watch a high school kid or a junior college kid become uh, Barry Bonds before he becomes Barry Bonds. Or for me, uh, back in the day, a uh, bunch of guys, uh, uh, like I always use Donnie Hill as an example that I saw at shortstop make three years the first time I saw him play and I loved him. Uh, you could go through this whole thing, but you got to see what the what this, this player looks like before he becomes the finished product. And then when you're asked questions during a major league season, then you're able to give your GM or whatever a better response. And it just doesn't have to be performance oriented. So I, I really believe I'd love to see uh, more uh, guys recently retired that want to manage, go back, back and do rookie ball, go back and pound the payment for January, February, March, April, May for at least one scouting season, see what it looks like in an area that to me provides a wider base that gives you more to lean on when things go poorly, uh, when you're at the helm on a major league uh, dugout. Yeah. The, the game may be turning a little bit back there, and especially next year when we get new rules, the way the game is played. Right. Um, the, the pendulum may be starting to swing back. We will see. And, you know, by the way, we got to get a little rock and roll in here. Sure. We were talking about Schwarber, and I, for some reason, started thinking about the boss, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, obviously, one of the best of all time, but it's he's always promoting the band as well, right? The E Street Band. It's not just Bruce. It's Bruce and the E Street Band. I, I always love that about him. Humble dude, Jersey guy. I'll, I'll, that's full disclosure for me. Got to love the Jersey guys. Of course. But before we get out of here, you got to give me, out of the catalog, man, if you had to turn on one track for the boss, what do you think it would be? Well, I, I, I think I'm on record with this one. Um, from the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle Kitty's back in town. I just like the completeness oh, yeah. of that. Yeah, I um, that's the one I talked about. I like to drive my vehicles at night. I've got great stereo systems, and uh, if I'm by myself in a vehicle with a great sound system, I like it when it's dark. I think dark vehicle on road provides a greater uh, theater. So Kitty's back in town. Um, under those circumstances, I've done it. Anytime I felt a little bit down about something, things weren't just right or just needed to, to get excited about a moment that's coming up, I would go Kitty's back in town, really high volume in one of the vehicles at night driving fast. Uh, that's one of my favorite uh, uh, historic moments in my life. And believe me, I'll recreate it again in the near future. Yeah, that album is one of the most mind-blowing albums. The first time you heard that, it was like, wow, right? And, and even to this day. Everybody talks about the newer stuff. I, newer stuff. I love the. I love uh, Asbury Park. I love Wild and Innocent. Oh, yeah. I love those two albums. And by the way, we'll be back in town with our next Book of Joe podcast, and we will really, really dive into the World Series, and you'll be able to get a inside perspective from Joe Madden, who's won the World Series with the Chicago Cubs. He's taken the Tampa Bay Rays to the World Series. It's a little bit of a different animal. It's postseason baseball, yeah, but the World Series, everything gets ratcheted up a notch or two. This time we got Phillies, we've got Astros, and right here on the Book of Joe podcast, we've got Joe Madden. So tune in next time, and we'll dive into the World Series. And Joe, every time is fun, every time is better. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you, brother. Remember, one day I will find the right words, and they will be simple. Jack Kerouac beautiful love it right peace peace brother out
The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.